This podcast includes frank discussions of mature themes that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is intended to provide encouragement and support through personal storytelling. The views expressed are the opinions of the participants and not intended to be medical, legal, clinical, or professional information or advice of any kind. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. 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 Welcome, 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 welcome to the Bubble Hour. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power. Weakness head on me. Jean McCarthy, and you're listening to The Bubble Hour. Hello, and welcome to The Bubble Hour Archives, a treasure trove of episodes ranging from 2012 to 2022. I'm recovery advocate and author Jean McCarthy. I joined The Bubble Hour as a host in season two. Together with other hosts over the years, Ellie, Lisa, Amanda, and Catherine, we all extend to you our gratitude for listening and a heartfelt wish that this podcast will find a welcome home in your recovery toolkit. The resources mentioned on the show are available at thebubblehour.com, including information on the online support group called the BFB, or Booze Free Brigade, often mentioned on the show. Now, if you're hearing this message, you're listening to one of our free archived episodes, and we'll make sure that there are loads of these available for you to enjoy. These are partial versions of the original recordings, and if you want to hear more, you can listen to full versions and the entire back catalog ad-free by joining us on Patreon. So just head to patreon.com slash thebubblehour to learn more. I'll also put a link in the show notes to make it even easier for you to find that. So, all right then, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Ellie, and welcome to The Bubble Hour, a show where real women tell their stories of addiction and recovery and offer real hope. And we are very excited tonight to have a special guest. We have Courtney Webster here with us tonight. Hi, Courtney. Hi. (laughs) Hi, Courtney. And also joining us, as usual, are uh, my co-hosts, Lisa and Amanda. I will start just by telling a little bit about Courtney's background and introducing our show tonight before we turn it over to discussion. Courtney Webster is a certified professional coactive coach and an associate credentialed coach through the International Coach Federation. Drawing on over a decade in the world of recovery, Courtney coaches clients to wear what was once an impossible dream that can now become a reality. And um, for individuals in earlier recovery, she facilitates coaching groups for treatment centers and sober living homes. And as the founder of Your Recovered Life, that's also the name of her website, it has a blog on it as well, Courtney is passionate about working with clients in recovery from addiction to produce extraordinary results in their lives, careers, and businesses in a way that connects to the heart and soul. And having had several conversations on the phone with Courtney now, I can attest to the fact that uh, she has some great insights both through her own experience and through that of her professional work as well. So Courtney, we're thrilled to have you. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. And just to tee up our show a little bit tonight, we build tonight's show as being about the quote-unquote next chapter in recovery. Uh, For instance, you are sober. You've been staying sober one day at a time, working a program of recovery on a spiritual path. 
and you may have a feeling that you've reached kind of a plateau or a now what or a what's next in your life and in your recovery. And Courtney works with uh, clients in recovery to help them identify or follow their passions in life. And we certainly are going to talk about that tonight. But we also want to be clear that there's no right way to do sobriety. There's no, none of us need one more thing to worry about or feel guilty about. So when we're talking about next steps in recovery and the things about following your passions or your dreams, this is just part of a broader discussion about kind of the progression and arc of recovery itself. We, I I know from, from my own personal experience and other people in recovery, it's very easy to hear conversations about topics like this and think, oh, I should be doing more. I should be doing that. This is not a should conversation. This is just a way to open up the the discussion that there's all different sort of phases and, and, and progressions to recovery. And it's important to talk about each and every one of them in an open and honest fashion. And bottom line is that if you're sober, if you're just not drinking or using for one day, that is enough. That is living a, a sober and productive life. So we, we we want to emphasize that we're sharing this through story and through experience, but we're not offering um, specific answers to solutions to everything because nobody can do that. We, we've also experienced ourselves, and we hear from other people in recovery, a sense of kind of not knowing what to do with myself in early recovery and at any stage. Drinking and using took up so much of our consciousness. It can be it can be daunting to fill the hole that alcohol and drugs leave in your life when you get sober. And we certainly have more time and more freedom and more choices as we grow in recovery. And this is definitely a gift, but it can also feel unfamiliar or uncomfortable. And these are, these are sort of emotions and feelings and thoughts that we want to explore in more detail tonight. And, um, we also will probably touch on the fact that some of us, can kind of, we felt as though our drinking or using gave us more motivation and more drive. And perhaps when we get sober, we feel that without the drinking or the using, we, we have to find our drive and our motivation and our, maybe even our courage when as sober individuals, the way that we had or we felt that we had as using individuals, even though it's um, obviously not the same sort of substantive thing. And we also will talk about the, how the time may come when we have felt that we've plateaued a bit in our recovery. We're going to get into all of this, these concepts in more detail and feel a sense of what now perhaps we're struggling with a balance of staying surrendered to our disease and reaching for our dreams. And we really want to have an open and honest discussion about how to have a solid foundation recovery and manage choices and personal growth in recovery. Another important topic is how some of us struggle with feelings of guilt or unworthiness or fear as we look to new challenges, maybe a feeling that we need permission to do something or maybe even more importantly to not do something. So much about early recovery in particular is about self-care and self-love and keeping things simple. And for many of us, that could be difficult as well, or maybe sort of a juxtaposition to feeling like we should be doing more with life. They're both equally important things to consider, both what we're doing and what we're not doing to um, sort of live a wholehearted life and, and achieve our greatest sense of self and accomplishment. So Bottom line, this is not a show about how to get sober or stay sober. We're not offering any solutions or any answers, but we can share our own stories, our feelings, and our experiences around these topics. And, you know, our goal is really just to keep this important discussion going. So that's a longer introduction than I normally do, but I think it's important for us to sort of really tee up the fact that this is a broad brush discussion about all different stages and phases of recovery and some of the obstacles and triumphs that we all face as we as we move ahead on this journey. Courtney, I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> Everything you said, I'm like, oh, let's talk about that. Oh, no, no, let's talk about that. Oh, wait, what <laughs> exactly. I want to say about that. 
Whew. Okay. So what I first want to do is just, I always kind of appreciate, like, before I hear anybody give me any, I like to hear what's your story. So my story, and because that's the way I know a lot of us identify around here, so I'll just tell you briefly what my experience was to get sober, and then I can tell you a second story, which kind of is another experience, strength, and hope, hopefully. Um, so the first one goes like this. I was, I was like the good little girl, super achiever, overachiever, who started out with, probably, I probably would say like my first addictions were books and boys. Then, then I got a, a healthy, quote, unquote, I don't know why I call it that, eating disorder. And that was my secret. It was my secret thing that I could control and do on my own. And it was my way of coping with, you know, whatever I felt I couldn't cope with. And I went to, so I was like super achiever high school, went to college, had a great college career, had like the eating disorder in and out, did not drink a lot at school. I really do believe that I do have an allergy to alcohol because I I don't, I can't handle it well. I feel really, really hungover the next day. And, and I, and because I was a, you know, control freak, I didn't want to lose control. So getting drunk wasn't really that great an option. So I graduate from college. I have this great job. I move out to California. I grew up back east and I, I move out to California. I've got this, it's happening and I'm having this, this, amazing career, and I'm not really drinking too much, like, my, it's like control, right? I'm just using control and control, mm-hmm. and then I started to, like, get kind of insomniac, and I just kind of noticed I was going off the rails a little bit, but I thought I just needed to get in touch with my feelings, because I really didn't know what my feelings were, and I just wanted to just, like, I just wanted to be able to have, a, like, a couple of weeks where I could just journal and just be in the moment, like, I knew that I wanted to. It's interesting when I think back on it. I knew I just wanted to connect with, you know, now, with the present moment, with how I felt, and, and to be present, and how, how present I wasn't. So I took a leave from my, from my um, job, my high-powered, awesome job. I don't know if it was high-powered, but it was definitely giving, it gave me a sense of self and validation, and it was a culmination of lots and lots of um, hard work. And so I left that, and I took some time off just to figure stuff out. I never went back to that job. And I started to, because I had never, because I'd worked so hard in college, carrying 20 credits and working three jobs and just being like that, that person, all of a sudden I had this time off from this job and I started to, I was like, I'm going to drink martinis. And so I did. And I also still had, hello, an eating disorder. So, and it was still my secret bulimia. And I decided that I needed to lose 10 pounds. And so I, I, I used some stuff, and I don't want to get too specific about anything, but I used some stuff not as a doctor would prescribe. I guess that's the best way to say it. And I, I, I started using substances to get thin, and it was my secret. I didn't do it with anybody. I didn't party. I didn't think of it as a drug. I truly did not think I was doing drugs of any sort. But while I was doing this, I was able to drink. And, and drink I did because all of a sudden I could because I wouldn't, I wouldn't really get that drunk and I wouldn't really have hangovers. And because I wasn't working, I could drink the next day. And so I just kind of, I started drinking and having a different lifestyle but still looking pretty much like the good girl on the outside. And then I fell into another career and I was doing that. And, and I, I kind of secretly always wanted to be a movie star and I wanted to act. And so I decided I'm just going to start acting. And someone said, well, don't you think you should take some acting lessons? And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. 
So, so I was, you know, I was taking acting classes and I, I ended up starting to work in production and I ended up getting this great job. I ended up getting a job on a TV show as an internet expert and I was an internet geek and I, I would have been at home in my pajamas being online, right? This is like in 90, like 96, 97, 98, I was an internet geek. And in 99, I got hired to be on a TV show every night as an internet expert on this, like, what? I'm on TV, national TV? So I got this dream job that I would have been doing home in my pajamas, right? So I'm doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm still drinking and using and, um, not thinking anything is wrong. Like the level of my denial was such that I, it wasn't like I thought, I thought I might have a problem and then I told myself I didn't. Like I never, ever, ever told myself I had a problem. I did not think I did. And nobody ever told me, hey, Court, I think you've had enough. I kept it really well controlled and I was very high functioning. And I had that great dream job and then that ended. And then a relationship I was in ended, which seemed like that had become like the best part of my life and it was not really the best relationship. And when that happened, so my job ended, then another production job ended, the relationship ended, and I was like, my, and my world had gotten really small. I didn't know what was going on, but I just felt like, you know, I think we can relate to that where the world gets really small. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and I would, right, I would tell my sister on the phone, I just, I just can't seem to get out of my own way. Or... I just can't quite figure out, like, I just couldn't figure it out. And I had no idea that, you know, drugs and alcohol might be getting in the way. And I always felt like I had so much potential. I, I just, I, you know, I had had these great, I'd had two great careers. And then I was kind of like, I, all of a sudden I didn't. And I had a moment of clarity after he broke up with me. I was looking up at the ceiling and I thought, you know, my life sucks so bad right now, I better do something about it now because if I get it back on track, I'm not going to want to deal with this because I'm pretty scared of what this is going to entail. And I told my therapist, and then I told my dad what was going on, and I got directly into a program, a program of recovery. And so I have no bad association of alcoholics. Some people are like, well, I, I didn't think I was an alcoholic because they were, and they just had this concept of what, you know, down a bum down by the river or in a trench coat. Right. And, right? I didn't have that because I had people in my family who, and people in my circle who were sober, and I just, they were like shiny, happy, amazing people. So I'm really, really lucky that I had that example, and I'd also seen how it had changed. I have my permission from my dad, so I'm I'm not going to beat around the bush. I had seen how it had changed my father, and I'd seen how it had changed my relationship with him. So I had nothing but, like, I was kind of freaked out to do it, but I didn't have a, I I, I didn't think it was a bad thing to do. I just didn't know if I was going to be able to do it. So I jumped in uh, with both feet. And was really blessed to have the obsession pretty much lifted. I, but, but I had these horrible feelings still of like, what did I do? I just, I, I cratered my life. I, I had debilitating, nearly debilitating, oh my God, what have I done? Like, if I had looked at 
I had to stay in denial about what my life looked like now. Because if I had really checked in with, oh my God, I blew that career. Oh my God, I did that. Like if I checked in with all that, it would have been too much to handle. Yeah, overwhelming. Yes, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just, I remember thinking, just, just try, just do the best you can every day. And that's what I loved about getting into, you know, a program of recovery was that I was given some directions on what to do, and I did them because I felt like, because I'm the good little girl, quote, unquote, even though I hadn't been, right? I, I followed, I followed <laughs> they're not rules, but suggestions. I was given suggestions, and I did them. You know, I, I went to the suggested number of meetings. You know, I did, I was, someone ran up to me. And said, one of my first recovery meetings said, oh, are you doing 90 and 90? And I was like, what is that? I had no idea. And she's like, 90 meetings in 90 days, and if you want your, if you want your misery back, you can have it at the end. And I'm like, what? What? That sounded, <laughs> right? Do you understand what she said? 90, 90 meetings in 90 days, and if you want your misery back, you can have it. And I was like, I'll take that challenge. So I started keeping track. I, I, I did 90 meetings in 90 days, and I, I was not miserable after 90 days. Like, there were, like, certain experiments that I did, and they worked. I was told, you know, get some commitments where you actually are of service when you go to a meeting. And I did that, and I felt better. And I got, I just, I, I did what was suggested, and I felt a lot better. Do you ever wish for a little bit of recovery inspiration on the go? Tiny Bubbles is a new podcast that brings you the best bits of the Bubble Hour podcast in quick little episodes, just 15 minutes long, but packed with wisdom, insight, and encouragement to live your life wholeheartedly and alcohol-free. Look for Tiny Bubbles wherever you get podcasts and subscribe today. Tiny Bubbles, little bits of recovery goodness brought to you by the Bubble Hour. Sometimes all you need is a little pep talk so you can get back to living that beautiful life you're building. I got married about four years in. I had, I'll just kind of fast forward through this part because I'm going to go back and tell this other part of the story. I had a baby when, I had a baby five years ago. I got married eight years ago. I had a baby five years ago, found this new career that I just am like, feel so blessed to have found about six years ago and has been working on it and has been working on it in a way that isn't just like this straight trajectory, like found it, rocking it. It's like, right. not, not at all. It's been, it's been, it's been bumpy. It's been a roller coaster. It's been, you know, all kinds of things. So what I, what I would say is I am, I'm so grateful to be sober. I love being sober. I love the, the camaraderie. I love when I meet people and like they kind of are speaking kind of the language and I'll be like, are you in the secret club? <laughs> and they're like, and if they say yes, I'm like, they'll kind of look at me and if they say no, I'm like, oh, never mind. But they, it's, I, I love the tools that I've gotten. I love being, I, I love that I got a connection to, to a higher power. Like I was one of those people that if you had said, you know, God willing, I was like, I would have wanted to punch you in the face because <laughs> I thought I had to do it all. I was in charge. I, I, I needed to control it all. 
So it's just, it's a relief. I just feel like this is, what a great way to be able to live my life, right? To, to have, have yeah. principles. You know, so my life is pretty simple. I, I, I love, what I really love is my, hanging out with my kid. I really love, I, I, I really am excited to watch Top Chef with my husband and, and talk about the way they're preparing things. And I mean, my life is pretty simple. Like I like watching some TV and I feel silly saying this, but I want to say it because you know what, whenever anybody is like, you know, doing their amazing things, I sometimes feel like kind of a jerk for not having these passions outside of life. I mean, like, no, my life, I'm passionate about my life. I'm really passionate. I like going to, I, I like having some fellowship. It's more like what I can say I love doing isn't the doing part, it's the being part. And I don't know if that sounds goofy, but oh, I know. You just made me feel so much better about myself, Courtney. <laughs> oh, great. Really, really very refreshing. Thank you. Oh, good. I, I love connecting with people and like I, lo- I love seeing like magic, like goofy magic stuff. Not, not like going to like <laughs> card tricks and that kind of stuff, but like like, I love noticing that there's a, a hummingbird that just made a nest right outside my window and, and finding two little eggs and showing them mm-hmm. to, you know, and I was walking with my little boy and my husband today, and there's a garden that we walked by that's a fairy garden, and they've said, walk, tread lightly, fairies live here. And so my little boy and I spent 10 minutes just looking like, do they think, do they live there? Do they think <laughs> they live there? And just like, that's. That's what I'm passionate about. Like, that's my hobby is keeping it pretty simple and really trying to enjoy my life. Finding one's calling, finding your purpose, finding, you know, that thing that lights you up that makes you excited to get out of bed in the morning. And I had felt a a kind of a low level of that for a long time. I I committed to what my major was going to be when I was a sophomore in high school, and then I went and I did it, and then I went and I worked in that industry. I mean, so I'm all about, like, set the goal, but it didn't feel, it felt practical. It didn't feel inspired, and, huh. and I kind of had wondered, I felt like something was missing my whole life in terms of, like, looking for that thing, because I would look at the people who, who were um, ahead of me in my jobs, and I didn't want their job. And so I, so I never really tried that hard to have it. Like I left one industry and then when I was working in production, I never worked that hard to try and be an executive producer or whatever, because I, I just wasn't passionate or driven to do it. And that, that could make me feel bad sometimes. Really felt like there was something I was supposed to, I was here to do and I didn't know what it was. And so I got the books. I read the books. I, well, I got the books and I would read part of the books and I would usually <laughs> All right, I would usually read the contents, the table of contents, and then I would read the first chapter, and then they would say, now get some index cards. And what we're going to do is, and I didn't want to get index cards. <laughs> it, felt, it felt too hard. And, I, and, I, and the thing is, is, it felt like the thing that they were inviting people to do is to connect to that thing that they knew they wanted to do, but weren't doing because it seemed hard. Like... For some reason, I remember an example of a woman who really wanted to play in the orchestra, but how was she going to do that with her son and her whatever, whatever her constraints were? Well, I didn't know that I wanted to play in the orchestra. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I felt shame about that. I didn't know it was shame, but I just was mm-hmm. like, 
why don't I know what I want to do? It seems like seems like everybody knows what they want to do. And I also believe, I subscribe to the, you know, do what you love. <laughs> do what you love and the money will follow or, you know, that whole thing. Like, yeah, it makes it sound so you know, simple. It's the do what you love part. That's <laughs> right? Yeah, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And I'm like, great. Great. But now, what do I love? And so I remember saying to a friend, She's like, well, what, what do you love to do? And I'm like, oh, no, here we go again. And I said, okay, uh, I love to read. I said, well, why don't you, and she was really well-meaning, right? She said, why don't you start a blog and write about all the books you're reading and, you know, review them? And I was just like, That's, I'm like, no, but I didn't say I like to write. I didn't say I wanted to have a blog. I didn't say I wanted to listen to books. I said I like to read. And it didn't, I didn't understand how I could take that, right? So it just seemed like that formula wasn't going to work for me. And I, I didn't know what to do. I would watch TV, and I have to say in early sobriety, like, God bless TNT for, you know, law and order and, you know. Hey, um, <laughs> Whatever the, so what? HGTV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the home channel, home garden channel, right? Well, I would watch those. I would watch those mm-hmm. shows, and I would see people doing craft stuff, and I would think, and then I would go to a craft. I would go to like a street fair and see people doing craft stuff, and think, am I supposed to be making like highly individualized window boxes for people? <laughs> right? Am I supposed to be making these lantern, these little like with? votive candles and wires and beads. Is that what I'm supposed to be doing? And then I would watch, you know, reruns of ER, and I would think, should I be a nurse? (laughs) Or not should I? Right? Like, and I just, and then the credits would roll at the end, and they would have, you know, casting by, and I should should I be a casting agent? Should I do casting? And then it was like, well, why don't you, what about your headshots? Why don't you get headshots done, for God's sake? And, you know, it was just, it was just this low level. And so meanwhile, I'm still working. So I just kind of want to set the stage here. Like, I'm still working a job. I'm supporting myself. I'm having a, a quote-unquote good life. And I'm feeling like there's something I'm supposed to do. So I remember talking to a guy. And I had said, what do you... He, it was like in a random place out in Arizona. Like, it, he's, he's, I said, well... I'm trying to kind of figure out what I want to be doing. And I, and I, you know, I'm figuring it out. I figure, you know, what if you just are not knowing right now? <laughs> and I, it just kind of stopped me in my tracks. I was like, oh. He goes, yeah, what if you're not actually trying to figure out? What if you just are not knowing? And you're just, that, you're just not knowing right now. Yeah. And it just kind of, even as I say it now, I feel like my chest kind of like, relax a little bit, like that mm-hmm. tightness. And I thought, oh, okay. And that's something, you know, I'll come back to because that's something I'm really, really committed to is giving permission and and kind of honoring, really honoring the not knowing portion of the program. Because, well, I'll just say it right now, because without the not knowing, you know, we, we give so much credit and we place so much importance in this society about having the answer and knowing. And, you know, we don't get there without the asking, without the not knowing, but we just don't give any credit to that part of it. And that, yeah. that's part of the equation. So 
I was in the not knowing, and I kind of got a. I wondered about. Co- I don't know where it came from. I wondered about coaching, but I wasn't. But I. But I was told, oh, that's for losers helping losers. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I just dismissed it without even looking into it. I kind of thought coaching was actually when, if you really did not know how to live your life, and you were at, you know, the drugstore, and you didn't know what kind of toothpaste to buy, you called your life coach. And that's what I thought it was. And I didn't want someone calling me to figure out what kind of toothpaste to buy. So I just dismissed it, right? Contempt prior to investigation. I'm like, okay. Like, I don't know where it had come from. So anyway, I'm still kind of wondering what my thing is. And then I, I get married. And that's great, right? So this is great. Okay. And then we get, I get pregnant and I have a miscarriage right away. And now I don't know if I'm going to be able to have a baby. And that was kind of, that was a little bit of the, if I can, if I can have a baby, then I'm going to find, that'll be my purpose. That'll be it. Because I've heard when you have a baby, like your life becomes complete. You will be in that hospital and you will, or wherever you give birth and they're going to put that baby in your arms and you're going to like just look up to the heavens and say, I know. Yeah, the angels are saying and the heavens will open and I'll, I'll be revealed. Yep. (laughs) I'm going to be complete. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, so that, so I had my baby and I, and it was amazing. And I, and I loved him as, as we do. And I did not feel complete. I did not feel like, Oh, mystery solved. Okay. (laughs) I still had that, that kind of gnawing. And I remember talking to somebody and he said, well, why don't you start paying attention to the things that, that you like doing? And I was like, oh, not this again. I go, like, what? He goes, well, something, what's something you like? That, well, I like going to the beach. Riddle me that. How are you going to make that my life purpose, right? So he's like, okay, well, what do you like about the beach? What do you like watching the light on the water? Do you like hearing the sound of the ocean? Do you like the feel of the sand? And it just kind of slowed me down and started getting me in touch with what felt good. Take Good Care is a new collection of recovery readings inspired by the Bubble Hour. If you love the encouragement and support you find here on this podcast, then this new book is for you. Visit thebubblehour.com for more information or check the show notes for a link to purchase. You'll find Take Good Care on Amazon Worldwide. Take Good Care, recovery reading inspired by the Bubble Hour, the perfect gift for yourself and friends. Help others find the message of recovery we champion on the Bubble Hour. Plus, get access to the entire backlist ad-free by joining us on Patreon. Patron support helps with the ongoing expense of making free versions of the show available as well as the cost to make new content like our spin-off podcast, Tiny Bubbles. Become a Bubble Hour patron today at patreon.com slash thebubblehour and help us help others through stories of strength and hope. So I'm now I'm a, a mom of this six-month-old. Someone mentions to me I should talk to somebody about life coaching, or mentioned somebody has, has started life coaching, and maybe I should talk to her. And I was like, oh, yeah, I should buy her coffee. Another two months go by, and I'm, I meet this woman by chance, and totally by random chance, and we start talking. And I, I go for my first weekend of training just to find out what coaching was about, and it blew my mind. 
And I, I jumped in, and I, I came home from the first weekend of training and I just told my husband, I'm like, I found it. Like, I was so beyond, I was beside myself. I was like, I cannot believe it. I finally, I found it, I found it, I found it. And I was so excited, and then, and then I had to start coaching people, and I was freaked out. It's an evolution, and it is also on a continuum of our adventure in sobriety our adventure in recovery. And at the beginning, my just showing up and, you know, showing up and bringing the phone list or being the greeter for a meeting, that was, that was me showing up and that was me having like pretty great life. People knew me. I knew people. I was, I was doing esteemable acts. And, and it's, and then, then I kind of felt like, oh, I want a little more. I kind of feel like, oh, oh, I think there's something. (laughs) I hope that doesn't sound rude, but it's like, you know, like your fists are clenched, and you're like, I think there's something, but I you don't just know. See it. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, so I started doing this coaching thing, and even within that, it was like, well, now what? Right. So I find it, and then now what? And so it's been, it just keeps being an evolution. And I got really excited because at a certain point, I realized half my clients were in recovery, and um, we don't work on them getting sober. We don't really work on their quote-unquote recovery, rarely will it come up. But there is a language that we can speak that cuts through everything. And there is also a shared experience that I think they feel really seen and known, and we're on a path together. So there's something very powerful about that. Yeah. And I just posted something on my blog, which is, you know, is it okay to ask if there's more? Uh-huh. And is and is it okay to want more? <clears throat> if we were in addiction or alcoholics and we got sober, well, guess what? That's your golden ticket. And you got, and what do you mean you want more? What do you uh-huh. mean you want more? And and there's also you know the part we work on with our ego. So it's kind of like how do how are we balancing this? Is this me getting mm-hmm. grandiose? Is this me? you know, trying to get too big for my britches or is this my ego? Am I just wanting, you know, what am I wanting? That it is an honoring of your, of your recovery and your sobriety. If you're not feeling like a calling to find it, awesome, awesome. Nobody, you don't have to. And so please, please, anybody listen to this, do not, if you've listened this far, if you haven't already gone, oh, forget it. Like, <laughs> do not feel that you, that you have to put this on your to-do list at all. I do stand for giving permission. If you are feeling it, it's okay, and to listen. This life is this amazing adventure, and to get a second chance at it, which is what I feel recovery is, like we get a second chance. And so let's do it. Let's right. do it. Like what do we want to, what do you want to do? And if you don't know what you want to do, what feels good that isn't hurting you? Because you're allowed to feel good. I kind of get massive bouts of who do you think you are syndrome, mm-hmm. you know, that, which is akin to saying, you know, is it okay for me to want more? Because there is such a big emphasis on things like humility and checking your motives. And I find that that's really where the foundation of recovery helped me a lot because I, I'm surrounded by people who I can say, what do you see me doing here? You know, how do you think, you know, and I, I have people that can say some of the harder things to me and I can listen to them and factor them in. So it's, I definitely need that permission feeling that it's okay. This is where you're headed. It needs what your motives are. This is my, what, what you want to explore. But I also kind of, I don't know, I, I honor the idea that somebody can say, well, I, I 
this may not be the right path for you. And I can, I can factor that in and, and look at the whole picture instead of thinking that somebody has to say yes or no and I have to listen to what other people say and take their word at face value. I'm sort of edging into my follow-on question, which is that some of the obstacles that people may find, the, the, some of the voices that we all have in our heads that tell us why we can't or that we shouldn't, what are some of the common obstacles that you see? I mean, I can look at my own life and see things like, working on people pleasing like if am I doing this because my mother wants me to or because I really want to and I'm not even sure what the answer to that is or am I doing this because you know I feel like I need to use the degree that I got or am I you know I I have a really hard time differentiating my own voice from all the other voices that are up there telling me you know what I can do so it's people pleasing and it's setting healthy boundaries and you know, what are the other, some of the other sort of more toxic things that you see that might get in the way? I think a part of the, the, an obstacle is not feel, is feeling like you were, you blow, you, you've blown it. You've blown your chances. You had your opportunity and now, you know, you're sober. Fine. You're not going to institutions or jail and you should just be, you should just be grateful. And you, and you blew it. And just feeling like, oh, well. So I think there's like, there's this unworthy part of it too. We have, we all kind of have this voice, you know, some people call it the critic or the saboteur or the gremlin or the committee or your mother or whatever you want to call right? You're too old, you're too young, you're too fat, you're too, you're not, you're not smart enough, you, you know, you'll never, you'll never make it. I mean, it's the voice that tells you you can't do it and it wants to keep you exactly where you are because where you are is familiar and it might be painful and it, you might not like it, but it's familiar and to change is change. That voice is sometimes personified by, you know, the relationships we choose to be in. And, and here's where I think we really can be really hard on ourselves, and, you know, in, and it's comparing ourselves. It's comparing ourselves to other people. And, and, you know, we've probably all heard the comparing our insides to other people's outsides. Uh-huh. And it looks like they've got it all figured out. And we have no idea what's going on in their life. We have no idea you know, what their life is like, right? And our process is our process. Because I know that a lot of people that listen are in, in pretty early sobriety. I think it can feel daunting when we get sober. Like, everything changes. Everything changes. And how do we figure stuff out? I mean, just we're kind of wandering around in the dark a little bit. And we've got this new life. I just think that gives so much permission. I want people to hear that, that it's like, just start doing stuff that feels good. You know, you don't have to hire a life coach. You don't have, you know, you, if you start, if you want to, you can. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if you know, t- start, like, tuning into what feels good and start doing some more of that and paying attention to it. And you're right, Ellie, it's not like what, you're, what society says you should be doing, but, you know, and it can be in really little steps. It can be in really little steps, like going to the craft store. Or if there's some secret thing that you really liked doing when you were little, I know one guy who was really into, into skateboarding for a long, long time. And then he, you know, his addiction took over. And then when he stopped, he started skateboarding again. And he, someone approached him, and he's like a big hotshot at a skateboarding company now. Like, oh, my God, how, how did I get this job? And there's other people who were kind of more like me that just feel like, I think there's something, but I don't know. And... You know, and sometimes, you know, I've worked with people who didn't know what it was they were they wanted to do, but, you know, got one job that they thought was going to be great, and then they did it for a while, and it wasn't. 
And so then they had more information. And that getting that job and having that you know, portion of that career was not wrong. It was what they needed to do to figure out that that was not what they wanted to do so that they mm-hmm. could then have more information to figure out the next part. So it's, it's all part of it, you know, and I, and I think we get hung up on trying to find the right answer. I'm accepting it as it is. Now what do I want to do? What are the things I can change that I can change? And be open, you know, and also send an invitation. I tell my clients, like, send the invitation to, you know, what you'd like. Like, write down your ideal life. Like, what's present with your ideal life? And not the how you're going to get there, but just how it's going to feel. Send the invitation to the universe and see what shows up. I love that. With that, I think we'll say goodnight. But again, Courtney, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Courtney. Thanks. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the Bubble Hour. Good night. Thanks. Good night. And I, Bye. I own it, I did that Not proud, but that was me And when I face it, I take back A little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free from the power Weakness had on me In a dark corner is where shame Strong just cause you'll keep it on the side. It just stays and wait there to rob you of your pride. Turn the light on, turn the light on, you can shine. When you said I did that, not proud that that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. I'm not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from power. Oh, yes, head on. You don't have to shout it out on Main Street to be clear. You don't need to whisper to confession every ears. The person you should talk to is looking at you in the mirror. And the one who matters most can always hear When you say I old, different Not proud, but that was me And when I face it, I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from the power Oh, you said I'm When you say I old, different Not proud, but that was me I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free